This is a Federal News Network podcast. Sometimes the simplest things to say are the most complicated to do. Fly to the moon and back. Establish world peace or require everyone in your company to get vaccinated if you want to do business with the federal government. With weeks to go before an ostensible deadline, contractors are still vexed by the nuances of the White House mandate. Here with some insight for coping, the Morris, Manning, and Martin partner, Kelly Kroll. Kelly, good to have you back. Thanks for having me. And what are contractors saying at this late date? I mean, the deadline for federal employees has already come and gone. Right. They're very much still trying to get their arms around this and how to implement it. Some of my clients got on the ball right away, you know, as early as October before the FAR clause even made it into their contracts and started planning. Other ones called me yesterday. What do I do? <laughs> you know, I just realized this applies to me. You know, since September 29th, I've probably talked to at least two to three clients every day about this and what to do as they have case by case situations that come up. I think a lot of contractors are perplexed by the fact that for those employees that will be on site at a federal agency, fine, I can understand that one. But if they will never be on site, why should you care, Mr. and Ms. Government? But I think what OMB is saying is that side of the workforce, contractors are just like every other company, part of the great effort to get the nation vaccinated. So they've kind of got you coming and going. Right. I don't think the federal government's trying to implement this from a safety perspective with respect to the agencies or anything like that. It's just part of their entire policy for the United States as a whole. And this is one way, obviously, to reach a bigger number of people, right? We went from, you know, hey, we'll give you a hundred bucks if you get vaccinated or free whatever sweatshirt. I don't know what they were giving out to now you might get terminated. right? <laughs> and so now we've gone the whole spectrum of rewards, as we should say. I'm sorry, I'm doing air quotes, but rewards, if you want to call that for getting vaccinated. so Right, because federal employees, I think, get a half day of paid leave if they want to do that. But that's not something I think contractors can necessarily all afford to do. No, no, absolutely. I do have some clients that are giving people out time to do that, but not everybody. I mean, really runs the gamut of what I'm seeing, how they're implementing it and what they're doing. And I, in fact, have one client who has told me, obviously not going to name names, that they're not going to sign the contract, that they're going to let their government contract work go because it's not that important to them because they feel that they can't get a fair share of their workforce on board with this. So they don't want to be out of compliance. So they'll just back out. Yeah, but for those that really do depend on federal work and, you know, for a lot of the companies locally, it's a big Mm -hmm. part of their business, in some cases, all of their business. What should they do with refuseniks? People that just simply say, sorry, I'm not going to do it. So you're not talking, obviously, about medical or religious accommodations. You're talking about, I call them the I don't want a guy, right? You know, that doesn't have a valid exemption. So what I'm telling people right now, because this is evolving and because this is changing all the time and new FAQs are released every day by the Safer Workforce Task Force or whatever the name of it is, you know, these new FAQs come out. And so what the FAQs say right now, they say, you know, it's up to you, contractor. They say up to termination, but they do kind of imply that you need to provide counseling. So We're talking to these people on case by case basis, having them come in. I'm recommending, you know, to have them come into HR, talk to HR, talk to them about what their real concerns are, why they can't do this, you know, assist in getting information to them if they need that. And then just kind of take it day by day until we get up till January 18th. Right. So we have some time here. So I'm not telling anybody to fire anybody on Christmas Eve. It's not not what I'm doing right now, you know. 
do it on New Year's Eve. <laughs> New Year's Eve. <laughs> We're speaking with Kelly Kroll. She's a partner and government contract attorney at Morris, Manning, and Martin. And what about the religious and medical exemptions? Is there emerging well, the- some standardized way of handling those? Sure. So we're asking me, put, uh, you know, and I'm working with our employment group at Morris Manning and we're putting together forms. They're not complex. They're kind of advising the employee of what the policy is, you know, with respect to medical saying, hey, you got to get a doctor's note, provide a reason. It's got to be, a, you know, a certified doctor letting them know, you know, the fact that you already had COVID is not a reason to not get the vaccine with respect to the religious. Um, t- I'm telling people not to dive too deep into that, right? Because, you religious belief isn't the same as someone else's religious belief. So we're just having fill out a form. You know, some people want to go get notes from their spiritual leader or whoever the equivalent of that is. I don't know that that really helps. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could say I, you know, subscribe to the religions of Tom Timmon and have you sign me a note. So I don't know how much a note does in that case. But I think as long as you know, I mean, most of these people know their employees and if they know that their employees aren't just making something up, then they can just kind of accept that at face value, really. Right. If they say, well, the chicken on trails pointed to no vaccine, then perhaps that may not work (laughs) too well. Yeah. And if they're doing it with a smirk, you know, I mean, that's kind of way that you and they know who those people are. And what do your clients say with respect to their views of how this might be the first of a, I guess, regular issuance of whatever mandates the government thinks should be yeah. on the well, workforce? Well, that's a good Well, you know, because of course I said the guidelines are a state of flux. What the FAR clause says is when the guidelines change, you're going to do whatever the guidelines say. So I get a lot of deer in the headlights when I go, well, you know, we could be like three months from now. Now you got to make everybody get boosters. Right. And they're like, oh, <laughs> like they haven't even thought about that. Right. So it's changing all the time. But I think your question is more around just something else. Right. Like, you know, they decide we all should wear purple raincoats. We haven't really discussed that, to be honest with you. They are used to changing. There's been a lot of changes in regulations with the cybersecurity requirements that they've had to deal with and changes in Buy America. And there's just been a lot of changes over the last few years. And most federal contractors roll with it because most of my clients do, like you said earlier, a fair share of their revenue is dependent on the government. So they're just, until it gets too crazy, they keep... I always see them just kind of getting on board, you know, so maybe we're all going to wear purple raincoats in the future. Right. And you said something quickly, but I think it's an important point, and that is that the FAR directs companies to follow guidelines, even if Mm -hmm. there's not formal rulemaking behind those guidelines. So you don't have to stand on your kind of religious adherence to the FAR and say, well, it's not in the FAR. I don't have to do it. Guidelines are referred to by the FAR as something you have to follow. Right. And that is unique, right? Usually it's in the regulations and sometimes they'll point to, a, you know, a different manual like cybersecurity, you know, like the NIST standards or something that can change from time to time. But this is a daily thing, right? This new FAQs came out yesterday. I think one of my associates sent me a link. It's like, hey, there's new ones. I haven't even had a chance to look at them yet. You know, so it's evolving all the time. But the reason for it is a public national health issue. And to your knowledge, you know, from your client's standpoint, are they hearing from contracting officers who are, I guess, the point people on this mandate? Are you hearing that your clients are hearing from contracting officers saying, are your folks vaccinated yet? No. So they're getting the clause and saying, sign the contract, and that's all they want. They're not saying, okay, now that you've signed the modification to incorporate this in your contract, they're not auditing it. They're not asking about it. 
I was on a GSA webinar a couple of weeks ago with some higher ups from GSA where they specifically said they had told their contracting officers was pertaining to the GSA schedule program that they had told their COs, unless there's some kind of red flag, this is not your job and responsibility to watch over this, to just make sure they sign like the mod and let's go. They've you got know? enough trouble monitoring labor costs. <laughs> it's like it would be like can you imagine so no it's it this is not something that contracting office i haven't heard of anybody you know i'm sure there's some contracting officer that personally cares and wants to make sure but as a whole like no all right kelly kroll is a partner and government contract attorney at morris manning and martin as always thanks so much for joining me absolutely my pleasure We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federal drive subscribe to the federal drive at podcast one or wherever you get your shows Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them 
I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from 
talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.